We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And now McDermott again, right to the rim with authority. Walked in, gets around. One bird, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me this week, we weren't able to join last week because of the busy schedule. From 8.9 seconds with a killer article today, Rhett Bauer. And no, don't let me stop there. Got to give my inflection here for the host <laughs> of the Corn Rose podcast, Mark Schindler. All right. There you go, fellas. How are we doing today, Mark? So that actually felt patronizing now. Um, <laughs> I'm not really, you know, the, no, I'm just kidding. I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm glad I can talk some hoops with you guys. I, I missed out on, on last Monday. It was a, it felt like a, it was a weird Monday night not talking, but uh yeah. Really looking forward to today. Yeah, for sure. Rhett, what's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, I am just fantastic. I've had nothing but time for the last three hours or so since I posted the article, and I think I kicked the hornet's nest, that is Pacers Twitter, and then kicked whatever's worse than a hornet's nest for Pacers Facebook. So oh. I'm, just, I'm just here for it. Absolutely. Well, we're going to get into your article a little bit later on the pod, but Last night, the Pacers blew a 20-point uh, a lead at, at one point against the Philadelphia 76ers, ended up losing by nine, and it was clearly the worst loss of the season. I know, Mark, uh, I, you did. I had a, it was a bad moment. I, I did not. Did. I was so frozen by how terribly they were playing, uh, and I was, like, under the – like, I don't know why. I just felt like they were going to win still. I mean, yeah. they were up with, like, two or three minutes left still, um, and then – it just collapsed even farther because of how well they 
they'd played up until you know the last quarter i was like oh well it's gonna be fine they'll pull it out yeah and uh so i was just like oh it's not gonna happen and then then it did and i was like wow what was i thinking so yes i uh please forgive me i i do forgive you i will say this i feel like i think all the pacer fans were just like waiting for the pacers to kind of break that slump in that fourth quarter where they didn't score for like, what was it, five to six minutes after Jeremy Lamb hit that little floater, like didn't score a field goal after that. So it just felt like eventually a shot was going to fall or something, but it never did. And Philadelphia just ran away with it. The zone was just killing us. So I'll start with you, Red, on this one. What was your biggest takeaway from last night's loss uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers? Uh, I am just – it's honestly ridiculous to see – how poorly they played for six straight minutes. Like really it was eight minutes, a little bit over eight minutes, but for those last six minutes, not getting a field goal. But really, I think a lot of it comes down to Bjorkren, uh, which kind of sounds rough or unnecessarily mean, but like, I know he's a rookie coach, but you have to know that TJ McConnell isn't going to do well against his zone. And you had a lot of minutes. I don't know how many consecutive minutes it was, but you had a pretty good sample size to to realize that it wasn't working. And Aaron Holiday was having his best game of the season. So uh, just it did not go well. I, I agree with you guys. I thought the Pacers were still going to end up winning it somehow. And it was just going to be like, a well, at least they won, question mark. Um, JWB. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, that was, uh, that was definitely their worst loss of the season. Mark, you want to elaborate? I know you did your podcast today discuss uh, last night, I should say, discussing some of this uh, this loss. But any other thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I know like just so much was made out of uh, out of the zone, but I just a lot of it just came back to like what what was even the thought process behind some of the lineup stuff going on down the game. I mean, down the stretch of the game, um, but also you know I. I think in soaking in some of the comments and uh, stuff that I've seen on Twitter and Indy Cornrows, um, you know, since since yesterday, uh, I mean, part of it too is the minutes. And I know people are frustrated with me talking about the minutes still, but like the, people were calling out Malcolm and Domas saying that they were timid yesterday. And I was like, that's not really <laughs> fair. Like, dude, they played 39, 40 minutes. They were totally worn out in the fourth. You know, I I, I talked about this yesterday too. Uh, Pacers have one of the best third quarter net ratings in the league. You know, they're right about six and a half, which is really good. Um, and then they have, I believe the seventh worst fourth quarter net rating in the league at negative four and a half, um, which gives them one of the worst, uh, in like third to fourth quarter net rating swings in the league. And it's obviously worse to have that net rating swing at the end of the game. Right. Um, so much of that is them playing Malcolm and Domas almost the entire third quarter. Um, so I, I think it's unfair to call them timid more just they're they're freaking tired by the end by the end of the game um, right. so I think last night was just a perfect storm in a bad way with all of the um, things that have been uh, very questionable is the wrong way to put it but things that I've had questions about uh, with the Pacers and, and where they're at and I think I have a, a little bit more of a clear idea of, of where I think they're at yeah and I want to touch on a point that Red kind of brought up you know it was funny because you were trying to criticize Bjorkren, but you were trying to do it nicely. And I, I know that it's only been, what, now 20 games? I think we're 11 and 9, if I'm not mistaken. So, yep. you know, it's it's been 20 games of Bjorkren. He's super positive, a super likable guy. And 
there's been a lot of cool things we've seen from this team, but there's also been some things that have not been so great. And we, the Pacers have played pretty, uh, pretty average basketball the last month going seven and eight and uh, the month of January. So I, I posted yesterday on Twitter, just basically, I, I'm not, I haven't seen a lot of criticism from Bjorkren besides really besides the minutes and playing the young guys, but like some of the, the, the decisions he's made like X's and O's, that kind of thing really hasn't been criticized. And, um, I guess you could say just playing T.J. McConnell was a very questionable call uh, towards the end of that game with that zone with Domas in there, who looked awful last night from distance. And it was just really frustrating and kind of perplexing, as you would say, Mark, uh, to really understand why McConnell was out there over over Lamb or even Aaron Holiday, who had his best game of the season last night on the offensive end. Just somebody to really help with that uh, that zone that was causing some issues there towards the fourth quarter. It really didn't make a lot of sense, but I'll start with you first this time, Mark. Should there be some more criticism of Nate Bjorken for some of the decisions he's made over the last couple of games? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I think I've been pretty critical of him over the last week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been very good in a lot of ways, but I think, like again, like I mentioned, I mean, I think we're seeing some of the things that are not positive about him right now. You know, not being willing to play – more than eight men in a rotation in the 20th game of the season is uh, it's frankly vexing. Um, I know I say vexing and perplexing a lot. You got to get the, uh, the Xings in. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I, I, it's really tough to, to be uber critical of him 20 games in, but it's, it's enough of a sample size to be like, Hey, you know, what are we doing here? Um, I mean, I think we've also seen TJ McConnell has been really good this year, uh, but there's been almost an over-reliance on him uh, down the stretch. And we saw that yesterday. Well, I don't want to say an over-reliance because, again, he has been really good. But, like, you just – you see how playing him really was not sensible yesterday and he still went to him, um, especially with how well Aaron Holiday had been playing, probably his best game of the year, um, unless you want to count Golden State. Um, I don't know. It, it just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Brett? Yeah, to me, it's it's the sample size, like we said. We know it's short, but it's not just that things are are – not going the way that we would like them to when it comes to the minutes. It's that they're almost exactly the opposite of what we were told before the season. Yeah. And that is, that's the most frustrating part. And I think listening this morning to uh, Mark, Caitlin and Tom really drove it home. Cause it was like, what gear do the Pacers have to go in that they can shift to in playoff time or in like actual crunch time? And the answer is they don't have any because they're already playing everybody. They're already playing the eight-man rotation that they would play in the playoffs. They're already playing Domas and Brogdon 37 minutes a game. And so it's just it just doesn't make a ton of sense to be treating the the first 20 games of the season as if they're something more than regular season games. And it's just I just don't understand the minutes distribution. And I really hope that uh, this doesn't come off as like trying to poo poo all over Bjorkren. Cause I think he has done a good job and he's gotten better uh, at, at some things across the, the last couple of games. I feel like his challenges have been very, uh, very much better timed, which is an important thing. You only get the one um, small aspect. Well, of the Victor's game. not here for that. So, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, it it's the contradiction from the preseason thoughts and and press conferences and all of that that really irks me. 
Well, yeah, okay, and I not to not to butt in. The one thing I do want to say though, uh, like just so people, because I mean, like we were talking about before we got got on here, there have been some major overreactions lately. Um, <laughs> I, I I did not even think this team was going to be eleven and nine, twenty games in. Uh, frankly, you know, just based on how I thought things were going to be coming in, I didn't think Victor was going to look like he was. Um, I didn't think he was going to get traded till the trade deadline. You weren't accounting on Warren being out. Yeah. What? You weren't counting on Warren being out for all games. Oh yeah. No, definitely. Like, I mean, I thought, I frankly thought this team was going to be right. Like maybe right around 500, potentially under just given new coaching staff, everything's going to be different. They're a team based on continuity. I think you have to look at how this year has gone say, okay, some things have gone really well. There are a few negatives. It's very different from last year. Like, I think we saw everything with Nate McMillan and how things went in the playoffs, how the players felt about things, and they obviously made that clear as we learned through reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, that There were there was a, a lot going on that, that we didn't necessarily – that us who are not insiders didn't see going on uh, last year. So I think we look at this year – the things that are going on are maybe a little bit more tangible, but I think it's a much smaller percentage of what really goes into the game compared to how everything was last year. Like I think I mentioned this yesterday, you know, it's, it's a little like a little five or 10% that is really negative right now. Like 90% of the stuff is fantastic. Uh, like all in all, you hear the players talk about Nate and they, they love playing for him. They really enjoy the schemes. They like doing what they're doing. Um, but it's just like we mentioned, it's just the small things like tweaking rotations and being a little bit more willing to, to give some length in, in playing time to the young guys. And there have been some slight changes in that. But um, so I, I think I, I just I, I implore people 11 and nine, considering, you know, all the turmoil this team's been through over the last four or five months. Uh, I, I think that there's not really a lot you can complain about right now. And I get that the loss last night was pretty, pretty bad. Um but I think just based on the way that they've played so far, like Rhett mentioned, playing an eight-man rotation kind of gives a false impression of what your team is when everyone else is playing an 11-man rotation right now. Uh, if this team had played an 11 or 12-man rotation, maybe they're eighth in the East. I have no idea. Um, but I think it's just important to try and keep that in mind and, and be a little bit more cognizant of that. There's things that we can gripe about, but overall it's been a positive start to the season. Yeah, and there's a couple different ways I could go here with this, but I, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit because somebody asked me the other day, you know, why have the Pacers not been, at, you know, as good as they were at the beginning of the season, basically? And while you said earlier, Mark, you weren't expecting Oladipo to get traded this early, um, <laughs> trading him for Karis LeVert was a no-brainer. But, of course, with Karis LeVert and, and having the surgery to remove the cancer on his on his kidney, like, yeah, that's a big deal, obviously. So he's not been there. And then TJ Warren's been out. And even though Victor wasn't like great when he was still in the Pacers uniform, I mean, it was still nice having that guy. And there was multiple times we saw this year where um, even in the short amount of games he played, I think he played in 10 games. There was a couple of times we saw in those 10 games where he could really just help pick up that scoring load on the perimeter. And I think sometimes while I don't think we miss Victor, I think we miss that third or fourth scoring option out there on the court uh, to go with Malcolm and, and Sabonis. And I, and I think that could be part of the reason why, for me anyway, I think sometimes the offense can be a little bit stagnant at times or we can struggle a little bit just because you're relying so heavily on Malcolm and, and Domas to, to carry the load. I mean, at, at this point, if Miles doesn't have the, those great – that four-game stretch where he's putting up like 20 points a game and McDermott doesn't play as well as he has been offensively, 
you know, you probably lose those games too. And those were close games that we barely won. So I just think not having Levert or Warren out there really makes it a much more difficult challenge for the Pacers to get wins, especially when you are playing those guys 38, 40 minutes a game. Yeah, and we keep coming back to it, but it's because of those injuries that you should probably avoid getting your other best players injured by not playing them 37 minutes. And that's that we can move on or I'll, I'll be done at least. Yeah. So, I mean, and, I, and there's another point I want to bring up because you guys brought up, you know, playing, you know, guys, I, this might've been just on your podcast, Mark, where I heard you guys were talking about playing miles and Domas, you know, 12 minutes straight playing them full quarters. And I thought while Gogo wasn't like perfect last night, I thought he was okay. The block that he had on Ben Simmons was really nice to see. And you're starting to see a little bit of growth from him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why we didn't get a chance to see him in the second half, maybe just to give Sabonis like four minutes of rest, like the final two minutes of the third and the first two minutes of the fourth, something like that, where you're seeing more of the uh, the Philadelphia bench. But at the same twi- time, Dwight Howard, I understand, was really good in that game. So do you think maybe that's why we didn't see Goga in the second half? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I thought last night Goga showed some of the best flashes he has in his career. I mean, that block on Ben Simmons was huge, but it was a lot more than that, you know. Um, overall, he just looks like a good player. Like, he's screening. He's making contact on screens. He's uh, been finishing at the rim pretty well. I mean, he, he had that nice look in, in, in the pick and roll yesterday. Um, and mainly, just like you're mentioning, just I, I think in the games where he has played – He's shown that he's good enough to at least warrant some backup minutes, uh, which I, I would argue is a lot more than five and a half minutes, um, and especially against the team playing big. Uh, I don't know. I mean, part of it's difficult because of how much Domas does to lift the offense. But at the same time, you, given how much they rely on both Brogdon and Domas to make things work on offense, it's really difficult to actually figure out what else works and what minutes you can play guys or other ways that you can make things work if you're not going to be willing to not play those guys. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So let's talk about Aaron Holiday's game last night because this is a guy I think we've all been kind of critical of this season, really been really been struggling this year. But last night had a breakout game and probably his best game since the Warriors game a couple of weeks ago. And I think with, with Aaron, what's frustrating is you see games like this and you wonder why he can't put a consistent streak of this type of play together. So, Rhett, is there a reason why you think we don't get more of a consistency from Aaron Holiday, or um, do you think that that's just kind of who he is? He's a streaky player. I think it comes down to role and confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw last night the very first play that Aaron Holiday made to, to, to make a mark on the play-by-play was an offensive foul. Like, he drew an offensive foul, came down, and and just took a – took a shoulder to the chest from Korkmaz on a screen, I think it was. And so that's kind of how he's been earning his minutes. But then he take that, he took that confidence into going to the rim and he made a layup and he made two free throws and then he made a three pull up. And so I think it's, it's just the confidence of being able to finish plays and uh, not just be a spot up shooter and have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, Just kind of, unlocks him a little bit more both mentally and then obviously production wise in the game. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, like we've, we've talked about this before, right. And I think we have as well, Alex, like, I think the biggest thing for me is just, we've seen with, with Aaron. I mean, he's somebody who 
I don't want to say he always thrives with the ball in his hands, but if he's going to thrive, it is with the ball in his hands. Um, and I think if he doesn't get those opportunities, it's almost doing him a disservice as a player because he's not somebody who should just be spotting up in the corner um, and, and spacing the floor. Like he's capable of doing more. And like what he did yesterday was huge. And uh, it's just tough when, when he plays with TJ McConnell, as good as TJ McConnell is, um, I mean, he's not going to have the ball in his hands. And it, it goes into two, like with, with TJ McConnell in general, you look at uh, Malcolm's game last night. Um, when, when, when McConnell and, and Brogdon are closing the game and Brogdon is the one bringing the ball off the floor, there's, you're, you're, again, you're doing a disservice to the entire team and TJ McConnell. Like, I mean, he's, you're not going to bust his own with TJ McConnell not being the ball handler. Like there are reasons for him to be out there as a guy who can cut into the middle of the zone and try and force some rotation that way. But if he's out there spacing at the arc, like what are we doing here? You know, and it's you're giving a gift to the defense is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too. It's like, I don't, I, that was my biggest criticism last night of Bjorkren. You know, I think he's fallen a little bit too in love with TJ McConnell's game. And I understand why it's easy to, and as a former coach, I can understand why you would rely on somebody like that because he is such a leader, you know, on and off the court. And so I'm sure that resonates well with Bjorkren and their relationship. And, and he does some really good things on the court and he provides an energy that the Pacers, you know, lack. Sometimes he is that spark plug off the bench, but sometimes that's kind of just what he is. And I, and I think if you're relying on him too heavily, um, he, he has so many, you know, disadvantages on the offensive end when the ball's on his hand because he's, he's short, he's not a good shooter, and, you know, he can make plays in the right moments, but when you're going up against a team like Philadelphia had out there last night, I mean, that's a huge lineup. I mean, there was no reason for him to really be out there, but um, it's just – it's perplexing, honestly, to just kind of understand what he was thinking there with, with putting McConnell back in, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think when fully healthy, he won't have to make that decision because you'll have Warren and Levert out there. But one of the things that I was kind of surprised by was um, Bjorken coming out and saying that he really likes Jeremy Lamb and that rolled off the bench. And then like two days later, he puts him in the starting lineup and hasn't looked back. Are, are we, are we um, sure that Jeremy Lamb starting is the right decision? I mean, even though we have all these injuries or is it more so because McDermott has just been really bad as a starter on the defensive end. And even though Jeremy's not a great defender, Mark, a uh, little bit of an upgrade over Doug McDermott. Yeah, um, I really like I I I get where you're coming from. I thought it made sense to move him in. Honestly, though, it's not even about Doug's defense. I think it's just more um, I mean, partially it's the defense, but it's mostly like you look at him and you're like, OK, well, we need you to it just makes more sense for the defensive matchup to have Jeremy out there. Yeah, um, like especially against the 76ers, there really wasn't a good matchup for Doug in the starting lineup. So I think it made sense to have Jeremy start. Um, I do agree, though. I would like to see him come off the bench. And I thought Doug was good as a starter. Um, he made a lot of sense offensively. And I think if it's kind of a mix and match thing. I, I think Jeremy's probably more comfortable. And it's similar to Aaron, you know, if he's getting the ball in his hands and having the opportunity to thrive. And he looked good with the starters last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of his damage was coming when, when he wasn't with the starters, too. So um, it's about finding a balance with that. But I, I get why, why he was starting. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Rhett? Yeah, I – I think a lot of it is just kind of getting Lamb 
it might just be kind of easing him back in a little bit. And he gets a lot better looks with the starters than he does when he's running the bench unit, essentially. Um, and I feel like that could be just like a confidence thing to start the game off, you know, get him, get him two or three easy buckets. And then you can have him in there with the bench uh, late in the second or early third quarter or something like that, just to, just to really get him going as a, as a playmaker and as a shot finisher. Cause we've seen in a couple of games when he's been hot, like the Pacers won't really have anything. And then Jerry will take a floater and it'll just go in. So um, I, I think really it, it's fine either way, but I do think it's very much matchup dependent because especially like Mark said, against the Sixers, Doug should not have been out there stuttering. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing though. I mean, he did start both games against Charlotte and then he started this game against Philadelphia. I mean, part of me just thinks, you know, he's one of our top six players. He's our sixth man when we're fully healthy. And with our two wing players out, he's our probably our best wing that we have. So we have to start him. And of course, Justin Holiday has just been, you know, he's been so solid this year. I mean, once again, just another great steal by the Pacers getting him on that hometown discount uh, in the offseason. I really have been enjoying the way Justin Holiday has been playing. And I really don't care that Jeremy starts or comes off the bench. I just thought it was interesting that Bjork inside. I like him where he's at, then inserted him. Obviously, he's kind of been tinkering with that fifth starter right there um, with Justin, Doug, or not Doug, Justin, Domas, Miles, and Malcolm trying to find that fifth starter. I mean, we saw Edmund Sumner play decently well in that on the West Coast trip when they traded Victor, and that's a guy that's kind of fallen out of the rotation again, Edmund Sumner, and this is a guy that I think you know, we talk about it probably every week. Uh, somebody does on their podcast. Sumner getting some more minutes, and I'm not even saying Sumner's the answer, but I just feel like Sumner can ch- kind of change the game sometimes. He can kind of be a spark plug in a different way, similar to TJ McConnell. So, Mark, are you surprised that we haven't seen a little bit more from Edmund Sumner? Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, and exactly like you said, you're not saying Sumner's the answer. I'm not. I'm not either. But I'm, I'm not not saying Sumner's the answer. You know, and <laughs> right. But that's the point. We we can't find out if he's not playing. Like, that's that's the thing. And, you know, Caitlin brought up a really good point yesterday when we were talking about how, um, you know, a lot has been made about how they're not practicing uh, as much. Um, that, that that brings up even more question as to why Edmund Sumner's not, not at least getting some opportunity in game, you know. Um, and, and it would be one thing if we hadn't seen him in that extended stretch. Like, especially I, I felt just from the Golden State game that he warranted a spot in the rotation moving forward for at least, um, you know, unless barring massive, uh, like a catastrophical meltdown on his part, um, which we haven't seen going back and watching his film. There's nothing highlighting that. Um, so, yeah, it's been very confusing. Um, and especially too, like putting him in for the, like the offense defense shift, which did not work by the way, um, not his fault, but they pressured Ben Simmons, who is one of the fastest biggest players in the league and, Believe it or not, he can run it all the way down court if you pressure him. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't understand that. It's been weird. He did that with Goga too, doing that offense defense switch. Um, he played like a twenty second spurt, and that was all he did in a game like yeah. a week ago. Um, I think it was the Orlando game for some reason. Yeah, no, it was the Orlando game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it's I don't I don't really understand why Ed's not playing. Um, it's it's a good question. I. To to at Big Blackenstein, I of course had to swing it in. It's a good question, but 
uh, <laughs> Rhett, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this too. I, I'm not really sure why he's not playing. Uh, like again, like last night is a, is a matchup where it makes sense for him to get minutes. Like, like there were a lot of guys with size, like Thibault and, and Danny Green are sharing the floor. Okay. Get another wing size player out there in Edmund Sumner. Um, yeah, but I don't I know. mean, Edmund can't play when TJ McConnell's getting 26 minutes. Like, yeah. That's or or Brogdon's getting thirty seven. Like if we want to say drop Brogdon down to thirty three, drop McConnell down to twenty, and then Ed gets those eight minutes, that would be awesome. Would be super super happy with that. And you were absolutely right. He did earn a good amount of minutes after that Golden State game. He played thirty one minutes in Golden State, nineteen the following game at Portland, and did pretty okay. And then the Clippers game for 20 minutes where we got absolutely smacked. And then since then, he just hasn't really been in the rotation that well. And it just, it, it just baffles me. But at the same time, like if Aaron holiday is not going to get more than 17 minutes going 64% from the field, uh, then I'm not really sure Ed's going to see any time at all, other than watching Ben Simmons blow by him with six seconds left. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the thing that I find funny is as much as as much as there's been talk about developing young guys, giving these guys more of an opportunity, well, they might – I don't even know if they're getting more of an opportunity than they were last year, uh, which is kind of weird to say because McMillan wasn't a guy that really played a lot of young guys. But at the same time, like he gave Aaron, I think, a little bit more, um, more minutes. If, at least it felt like it. It felt like last year – to me, anyway, Aaron played better under McMillan than he has this year under Bjork. Oh, he did, for sure. And it's, it's just weird to say that. I mean, and we know McMillan loved Edmund Sumner, and he would always try to find ways to get him in there. But it always seemed like it took him a while, especially in the playoffs, to get him in there. But I think sometimes with this Pacers roster, they've got a lot of really solid vets. And sometimes these vets are almost too good that they're probably just a, a notch better than some of these young guys. And if you're really trying to win, you're trying to compete. I know we've had this conversation a couple other times on different podcasts, but when you're trying to win and you're trying to compete and you're trying to develop at the same time, it's hard to find a good balance of that. And I want to close out this segment talking about that, Mark. I mean, do you think there's a way they can uptick some of those minutes for those young guys and still be super competitive where they get the most out of this team? Or do you think that there's going to be setbacks if you do play younger guys more minutes? Well, I mean, that's that's a great question of itself. You know, like you look at it, and I, I've mentioned this too. I mean, I think we've seen enough to know that regardless of what they think and regardless of what Nate Bjorkman says, Domas and Malcolm both fade at the end of games, over, you know, especially in the fourth quarter. And there's uh, no way around that. That's just – that's that's true. That's biomechanics. That's physics. That's how how stuff works when you when your body fatigues. And that's not a knock on them. There's just we're smart enough as a, as a society now, or at least most of us are, to recognize that you can't play 40 minutes every single night. Um, so I think you have to find that balance of okay, well, can they play 32 or 33 minutes, and then we'll go from there. And that opens up minutes for Ed or anyone else. And um, I think you look at T.J. McConnell, too, or anyone who's playing, you know, say 26, 27 minutes, those minutes can be allocated out in different ways as well. Um, so I think it's – I don't have, like, a definite answer, but I think you have to be willing to sign on for maybe an extra loss here or there to figure out how to win more games in a more efficient way later on. Yeah, Com completely agree. Rhett? No question. If, if you are going out – 
every single night for a this year's 72 game season trying to win every single game by playing an eight man rotation that's just flat out wrong like they, i mean you can you can say that it's a mandate from the front office but then i would say that the front office is probably wrong you'd say it's from the owners and i would say that the owner was probably wrong to to make it that much of a mandate to where you don't play the young players that you have so that you can play your star players 37 minutes. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, you're doing more damage than you think because you're, you're literally seeing it at the end of games. Like Mark said, you are seeing Brogdon and Sabonis not get rebounds that they may have gotten in the first game or not hit a jump shot. They might've hit in the first quarter because their legs are tired. So I just, I'm, I thought we had a I thought we had a change after one of the Toronto games um and maybe not and maybe this was them just trying to get a win against the Sixers for seeding they might have considered this a, a must win game because uh, it's a direct competitor someone they're going to be hopefully fighting for playoff position with but even still I just I just don't see how you can possibly have long-term goals in mind and play an eight-man rotation for 20 games Yeah, and, like, the last thing I'll say here, too, um, and this is going to seem like a really small nitpick, um, but what have we seen from Keelan Martin in 10 NBA minutes to say that he shouldn't be getting a shot in the rotation? Um, I'm not saying that he's an every-night guy. I'm not saying that he should be, like, starting or anything like that, but I think you just look at a a roster devoid of guys who are 6'7", 6'8", that can actually defend wings – and him not even getting small spots to, to actually show anything is a little confusing to me. I mean, he he showed some stuff in preseason that uh, looked like he would be a viable rotation player. And he just really hasn't gotten any run. I know he did not play well in the minutes that he did get, especially offensively. Um, but I, I just, like, like we're mentioning, you can't have a two or three game sample size uh, to end up eschewing someone out of a rotation. You know, it's, it's just a little confusing. Now it is a little confusing, and I and I thought it was funny that he was getting minutes over Edmund Sumner at the beginning of the year. Like they actually saw what we saw in preseason, and maybe saw the same thing in practice, and thought, "Man, this guy's playing pretty well." I mean, I don't I don't know what Ed has to do or Keelan has to do to get more minutes, or even Goga for crying out loud. But um, I just I just feel like this team is so good with like they're just they have solid veterans that play their roles very very well, and it can all it can kind of be a detriment to the growth of this team with their young players, because I mean, I'll be honest, like on the last podcast I did with, uh, with Fachi, I mean, I was talking about Aaron Holiday and it's like, if this guy is going to continue to not be used the correct way, like what's, what's the point of investing in him long-term if he's never going to be a starter and you're not going to give him the minutes he needs to develop. Like if there's been teams calling for him and, <laughs> and teams that want him and he's been a big trade asset the last couple of years, like you're not willing to part with him. I mean, what's the point of hanging on to him if you're only going to play him 15 to 20 minutes a game off the bench and not let him kind of flourish in his role? So it's it's been very different. But, I mean, anyway, we could talk about this all day. I want to transition a little bit. I know, Rhett, before we got on the pod, you said there were some a lot of games you wanted to talk about. So is there anything in particular you wanted to bring up? Oh, man. Um, just there was a lot of basketball between uh, today and the, the last time that we spoke. Um, I think that we are just seeing more and more, the more games we have against wing sized players, 
that uh, there's a desperate need on this team for wing-sized players. And I know I'm saying that without having seen TJ Warren and Karis Levert, who is kind of a wing, uh, he's 6'6", so he's got a decent size. Um, but it's just we're just getting torched by anybody who's 6'7 and big and can create their own shot. So that's been my biggest takeaway against the last, like, six games, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, Harrison Barnes has had a nice year, but he absolutely demolished the Pacers, um, scored 30 in that game. And we saw that, I mean, Tobias Harris uh, yesterday as well. Like, I mean, TJ is a solid defender. He's not like a great defender. He can be average to above average, sometimes below average, depending. Um, but, I mean, he was pretty good against Tobias Harris last year, or at least good enough to, to not – get posted, you know, six times down the stretch in a game. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you're definitely seeing that missing. So, again, like even then looking at that, it's very difficult to to try and analyze and engage the team when they, they don't have two of their most important players. But at the same time, yeah. And that's kind of where I feel. It's like you don't have Warren, you don't have Levert. How critical should we be of this team? Are they, you know, are they an average team now? I mean, are they below average? Like, what is this team? And I think it's really hard to tell because we've never seen them fully healthy. And for the most part, I mean, they've been in almost every single game, even when they've lost. I mean, I think the biggest loss obviously was the Clippers one when they just weren't in the game at all. They should have won last night against Philadelphia. Um, the Dallas game, I think, was their next biggest loss where they, they never really felt like they could take control of it. But they were still within reach of that game in that fourth quarter. So I think the team has been has been fine but they're just missing those two guys. And I mean, I don't know what their ceiling is with Levert and with Warren and what their, you know, return would mean for this team, because sure, it's going to be an uptick in overall talent, but those two guys haven't played together at all. Levert's going to be fresh with the starting five. So the chemistry is going to be a little, you know, they're going to figure out that chemistry a little bit. So I I was wrong when I said when Jeremy Lamb comes back, it's going to be a a slow return because I just didn't think, he would be as great as he was when he first came back, but he's been really good. And I just I just don't know how exactly these two wings fit in. But overall, I think with this roster, it's, it's really a roster that's built to have regular season success and be competitive in the playoffs, hopefully. But I think there's a lot more hope than there is belief that this team can really compete with the upper echelon teams of the Eastern Conference in the seven-game series. Yeah. I like that. I like that train of thought. There's a lot more hope than belief in, in terms of playoff success. But I think that comes from so many injuries, and and you you don't have a clear picture, like you just said. So um, let's. I, I I want to reiterate what Mark was saying earlier is that this team's doing better than what I feel like they were expected to do this early in the season and that's without Vic for however many games without Warren for however many games so there is some reason for optimism but uh, ultimately I do agree that I'm not sure how this team's going to look come playoff time with or without people healthy Mark any thoughts on that no I mean I would say I think people should be a little bit more optimistic I mean TJ uh, we haven't even seen him healthy yet. I think it was a little bit questionable that he played, uh, at least in that Boston game, because um, you could tell he was pretty hobbled and was really just struggling to move around court. Um, 
But I mean, again, we haven't seen healthy TJ. We haven't seen Karras on the team at all. He dropped 43 points the week before he got traded. I mean, he's a good player. I, I think you look at that starting lineup, there's a real potential there. And if, if they can mesh well with the bench and they're hopefully not playing an eight man rotation, considering the depth of the team when it's fully healthy. Um, I, we, we don't know enough to gauge at all. I would definitely hit back a little bit on you were questioning, uh, you know, what, how good would the team be if they came back and would there be growing pains? There would definitely be growing pains, but I mean, just talent, talent means a lot. For I sure. TJ, TJ McConnell is a good player, but uh, 10 minutes of TJ McConnell is probably better than 26 minutes of TJ McConnell. No, so. don't say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true though. I mean, we saw, we saw the limitations that uh, were highlighted on McConnell in the playoffs. I mean, that, that's the thing that I just keep looking back to. And I know that it was, a different coaching staff and a different offense and a different scheme and whatever, but the same limitations that he had and the same weaknesses he had last year are the same ones he has this year. I don't care how many corner threes he takes. I mean, Domas is still not going to be a, a, a three-point threat uh, consistently, like uh, some people might hope. I mean, sure, he's had some games where he's gone like two or three or whatever, and he's hit some, but you look at last night's game, I mean, there were so many shots. I mean, that one in the third quarter, I believe it was, hit the front of the the front of the backboard when he shot it at like a at the top of the left key it like didn't even get to the rim it hit the front of the backboard I was like what in the heck is going on so I just I just I'm not trying to be negative either because I really I really do like the depth of this team and I do think that they're going to be fine when fully healthy but at the same time I am a little worried about the chemistry but like you said I mean that's a great point it's much better to have talent even if the chemistry is not all the way there than to have you know, guys with limitations out there. So any other thoughts on the last couple of uh, weeks that we've watched basketball, Mark, or uh, are you ready to move on to the next segment? No, I'm good to move on. Okay. So Rhett, this is uh, where we're going to talk about your article that came out today. And you threw out a little bit of a, uh, a Bradley Beal package um, from the Indiana Pacers. If they were to make a, make a run at Bradley Beal. So would you like to share what your trade package was and what kind of response you got on Twitter from it? All right. So I feel like I need to preface this with a lot of what I said in my article or not a lot, cause I don't want to read the entire thing, but basically the idea is that the Pacers don't have a great shot for this to happen. And I wasn't even necessarily advocating that it for sure needed to happen, but the trade offer that I put out there was Sabonis lamb, Aaron holiday and two first round picks for Bradley Beal. Now, I have gotten a lot of negative feedback about that deal to the point that it's honestly a little bit surprising how passionate um, people have been about this deal. But uh, before I go any further, what do you guys think about it? Mark, I'll let you go first. Um, in terms of it being a fair deal, I, you know, you can come at me all you want. I think it's in terms of value, uh, it's probably about right for Bradley Beal. Um you could maybe tweak it around. I know it sounds like a lot because it is a lot, but I mean, Bradley Beal is a top 15, 20 basketball player on the planet right now. Uh, you know, I, I think talent, talent always reigns supreme. Uh, we saw what James Harden uh, levied. I mean, that was like eight, eight trades. I mean, not trades, eight draft picks, essentially. You have four first round picks and uh, four pick swaps as well, which is pretty much the max you can do. Um, as well as two starting level players, like that's a lot. Um, and that's not nearly as much as you're giving up. Um, 
I, I get that Sabonis is quote unquote a homegrown talent or whatever you want to consider it. But I think if you just look at it in the co- a cold calculated way that you have to as a front office in terms of analyzing what makes sense uh, for being a more competitive team, I mean, uh, you could have, you could of course make the argument that you're losing a lot of depth with that, but at the same time, you're adding the best player on the team since Paul George. So, yeah, that's, and see, that's, that's kind of where I'm stuck because the thing is, I, I won't deny I am a fan. I don't cover the team. I just talk about them. So I'm a, I'm a pretty big Pacer fan, and I won't lie. I'm a big DeMontis Sabonis fan. He's probably my favorite player on the team. And so I do have a bit of a bias here in saying that I don't like this trade because I don't like giving up the guy that I like watching the most on the court, and that's just where I stand at with this. And I think a lot of Pacer fans, you brought up Paul George, you bring up Victor Oladipo. These are two guys that the Pacers – had as the face of their franchise the last decade, and now they've moved on. And I think fans just want someone to settle in here and be that face of the franchise. And I feel like DeMontis Sabonis is the early frontrunner for that. Now, I know Miles Turner's been here since 2015, but the fan base is so divided on Turner right now. Um, even though he's having his best season yet, I mean, there's still so many people that just don't like him and, and want him gone no matter how good he plays or not. So, I think that that's kind of where you're like, you can't say, oh, Miles is the face of the franchise. Now, you can argue that it's Malcolm. You can argue that it's DeMontis. And I just think fans, you know, they got Sabonis in that Paul George trade, and then he evolved into an all-star without Victor Oladipo here. So I think that's why a lot of push, there's a lot of pushback on this trade for you, Red, is just because of how close and how emotionally attached these fans get. And I'm one of them to DeMontis Sabonis. And at the same time, I can understand, like I've said this before, I would be okay giving up Sabonis if it means that we're going to get um, a, a top 10 player or a top 20 player, whatever it is. If it's going to make the team better, then I'm for it. But I felt like I would probably try to do this without including the picks or maybe keeping one of Holiday or Lamb just because, to me, it feels like that's given up a lot. And if I'm looking at how I feel like the Pacers view this trade, Red, I feel like the Pacers view Sabonis closer to Bradley Beal's level, even though I don't agree with that, then they view him to, you know, maybe like top 50 in the NBA. That may be true, but I would be very confident in saying that I don't believe the Wizards would view Sabonis near Beal, near to that level. Um, And I think that that's the thing that's really been – I looked at this trade – from Washington's perspective. And I think that's what any fan base, if you're going to start to make a trade, look at it from their perspective because they have to want what you're offering. And that's why, like I said in my article, I Sabonis makes sense because the past superstar trades we've seen have had all-star level potential young players and just a ridiculous amount of picks. And the Pacers aren't going to give that ridiculous amount of picks, so they have to compensate in other ways. Do you want to give two starters instead of Sabonis? Like, do you want to give Turner and Warren? I don't. So then, like, you just have to give something to get something. And I understand that it was – it's a pretty controversial thing to want to trade Sabonis because he was our – he's probably our best player last year up there between him and Brogdon this year. But, I mean, Beal is better. Like, he is better than Sabonis. And I think that, you know, Aaron Holiday, we, we – talk about how inconsistent he is and we're not sure what he is, but even more so what would Aaron holiday be on a team with Bradley Beal? You know, like that's another guard added to the rotation 
and then you get Lavert back and you get Warren back. And it's just, there's, there's just not a ton of room for him to develop, uh, especially when he's behind TJ McConnell in the rotation. So it just, I don't know. I asked a lot of people that I trust that are not Pacers fans or cover the team at all. And I, I didn't get any response from a Washington person, but there was a lot of people saying that that's a good deal for the Pacers in terms of general value, like Mark said. And I, I tend to agree. Again, I'm not saying that the Pacers should 100% do that because that is a lot to give. And I'm not sure Beal 100% makes us uh, like an Eastern Conference champion uh, with the rest of the really good teams at the top of the East. But I do think it makes us better in a significant way. And uh, I'm, I, I really implore people to... Take the take the fan goggles off a little bit. Look at it from a team building perspective, and uh, and then reevaluate what you think that trade means. Well, okay, let, let me go off my soapbox here for a quick second. It's not even about the value of the trade. People just need to make up their damn minds. Okay, sorry to swear on your pot, Alex, but um, <laughs> if that's fine, you can you can like people on the team, and you can want to win too, but you you can't have both. That's no. not how it works. Nope. Like I, I'm it, okay. That's that's a little bit grand. Yeah. Why remember. why can't that work? Hey, just listen to me. Okay. <laughs> here's the thing. You can't just be like uh, all in for this one thing. You can't be like all about oh well this guy this guy this guy like he has to be the guy, and then be pissed that the team doesn't win. Sometimes players aren't good enough. Um, and I you know me I'm not an all or nothing type person. I don't enjoy just like looking at basketball at having to win titles like. But right. I just get really frustrated with seeing that, oh, well, this team doesn't want to win championships. Well, just, gosh, it, like, it's just so annoying to me. Like, come on. Like, I, I think sometimes people just, like, like, like Rob mentioned, uh, be a little bit more cognizant. But um, I am asking fans to be cognizant. It, that's how you know it's way too late at night for me. Well, and I think one of the things that we talked about, because I know we had actually had this conversation right before you put this article out, and we had discussed it. And because I had said something about, man, if Bradley Beal's available, you got to go get him. And you said, what is a realistic Bradley Beal trade that you would do? And you kind of gave me your idea. And I was kind of pushing back on it. And we went back and forth a little bit before you posted this. And so um, one of the things you brought up is, like, the Pacers won't need Sabonis' offense if they get Bradley Beal, but they'll definitely need the defense. And I can understand that point of view. So is that kind of like your biggest thing? And like it's a bonus to the best asset to give up yeah. and, and you're able to kind of replace his offensive, you know, um, dominance or his offensive importance with Bradley Beal. And you still get the, you still get a save uh, miles Turner as that, that center that doesn't need the ball. And you still have TJ Warren to help guard perimeter players. Is that kind of your thinking in the overall trade? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's something that fans, that I've been talking with. And like Mark said, you, you generally can't have it both ways. You can't have the guy that you like and want to win, or at least be just like incredulous that I even suggested trading Sabonis, because if you look at the way that the team is built, and I know that we're missing Warren and I know that, you know, we're missing a lot of key pieces, but when miles isn't on the floor, that defense is not good. And when you bring in a guy who's averaged 35 points a game this season, you probably like, do you, would you rather have the role player in miles and the defensive player of the year candidate in miles? 
Or would you rather have Sabonis, who's been the offensive hub, but doesn't necessarily need to be in a lineup, lineup with Brogdon and Beal and all that other stuff? And, it, and then it just comes back down to, like, who's your best player in the playoffs? That's pretty much what it comes down to. And can that player create for themselves and create for others? And this version of Domas, we haven't really seen in the playoffs very well. Like not that much at all. Well, yeah, that's true. I guess he wasn't. He didn't play at all last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we don't really know if he can create for himself or create for others in the playoffs, but we know what we've seen against Toronto and Boston when they've played them twice and Sabonis has been mitigated a little bit. So I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying we should trade him and I'm not saying I don't like him or that I have an anti Sabonis agenda. What I Uh, am saying. You might. I, I'm no, I don't. I have, I have a pro Pacers winning agenda. I said that earlier. I'll say it again. (laughs) I, you cannot say that a player who's not in the top 20 is untouchable. Like you just can't say that. And I'm not sure Sabonis is at that level. Yeah. And I think some fans probably think that he is, unfortunately, I don't, I mean, as much as I love Sabonis, I understand that he does have limitations to his game. And in, in, in this NBA, I wouldn't say the center position is the least important, but the wing position is probably the most important. Yes. And, and having a wing score in Bradley Beal would be something the Pacers haven't had since, like you said, Mark, Paul, Paul, or Paul George, or maybe even Victor Ladipo in 17-18 when he was just unreal. But I don't think, you know, Victor was the shooter that Bradley Beal is at all. So, I mean, this is a guy that's been really good on a really bad team. I think that's where a lot of fans kind of get frustrated because Washington's not been very good um, the last couple of years. Now, that's not entirely Beal's fault. A lot of it has to do with the roster construction. And I understand that point as well. But, yeah, I mean, you you make great points. And I guess for me personally, like, if the Pacers could do that trade, I'll ask Mark this question. They could do that trade but substitute Turner and Warren – uh, for Sabonis, would you do that? Oh, trade? no. Oh, no. No. Well, you had so to be clear, I had to include Lamb uh, for the for the salary reasons. So right. if you had Warren and Turner, you would remove Lamb, Lamb. and probably okay. Aaron. So Yeah, because that's kind of what I thought, like two picks, Warren and Turner for Beal. And, and the thing is, we know Warren's up, uh, not this offseason, but the next free agency-wise, what his number might be. I don't know if the Pacers want to match it. And I guess another question is, hypothetically speaking, if they made this trade work, do we think that a – I mean, it's possible. I don't know, but I'm just curious your thoughts. Do we think Lavert, Beal, TJ Warren, and Brogdon could all coexist together? Um, you know, trying to stagger the minutes, I guess you could say, to make sure they all are happy enough with their touches. Um, do you think that would work, Red, or do you think there might be some problems there? It's worth – Trying to figure out. Yes. <laughs> that's that's what I would say. It's not going to happen, but like, yeah, no. it'd be worth trying to figure out. So that's that's my entire thing. Is I it is so unrealistic that that happens. Both both from a Pacers organizational like mantra, like their their mo over the last couple of years is not to make the big splash trade. And we don't know what's happened beyond behind the scenes, whether or not they were close on something. We know nothing gets out from this front office, um, but it's just you know. Talent wins out, and if you if you're gonna be a Pacers fan that complains about not having playoff success and not winning anything, and not having stars come here in free agency, and then also complain when we make a trade that gets a star here that's actually realistic for both sides, 
I just, I don't really know what to say to you other than just, I guess, go watch the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals. Hey, those are some good times, though. So never, never bad to go back and watch those. But I will say this, like I've had some people be like, if you switch out Turner with Sabonis and I do that deal, but there's no way I'm giving up Domas for, for Bradley Beal in that package. And so that's why I wonder, like, do you think, the, okay, so let me ask you this as far as the Pacers perspective, right? Do you think they would offer two first round picks, Sabonis, and their first round pick from a couple of years ago, Aaron Holiday, plus Lamb to go out and, uh, and get Bradley Beal? I mean, do you think the Pacers would even consider that? I don't know. I, I, it depends on it, it completely depends on what other deals are out there for other players. Like if they have a Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward esque deal out there for another player, then I might change how I feel about this deal. But I do think that Bradley Beal is probably one of the best players you're going to get um, right now. Mm-hmm. And so, in that regard, you have to give it what you, you have to give it a shot at least. And I think what we've seen from these past superstar trades and I, I say superstar Bradley Beal is not a superstar that's reserved for about five people in the entire league. He's a star, a very good star. Um, and like I said, better than Sabonis. So I, I think that anti-Sabonis you, agenda shining yep, through again. There it <laughs> yep, is. I feel there it. it is. Keep, keep marking Had to it hit down. Him with Every the subtle sneak this at the end, throwing yep, strays out like gotta get tomorrow. it. Careful. You're next. Um, no. Oh, <laughs> all right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I guess my Mondays are free from now on. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, if anything, I'm the one off. I'm anti Sabonis uh, to the Sabonis fan over here in Alex. So yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't know if the Pacers would do it. I think that's a package that keeps them competitive with other teams like Denver and Philly who can offer um, at least in terms of how the league values them better pieces in players like Simmons or uh, Michael Porter Jr. Who they both have a lot of shine to them as uh, trade centerpieces, but I don't, I really don't know if the Pacers would do it. I, I don't even know if they'll have the chance. So it's not really worth talking about, but apparently uh, hey, it is. <laughs> hey, all the Pacers Twitter and Facebook was talking about this. Oh yeah, and they were. I know Wait, you Facebook had it too. Okay, time to go to Facebook. No, oh, save your save no, your time. Don't, they hate it. Don't that bad. It's it's not good. Um, Oof. I think four people have already deleted the comments after I responded to them. <laughs> I was I was very nice about it. I was just asking questions, and that was apparently enough to remove the comment. So maybe they felt bad. I don't well, know. and and I and I agree. Like if you're comparing Sabonis to to Beal, then clearly yes, Beal's a better player. And I just I just said it straight up, like. I have a Sabonis bias, so I don't want to see Sabonis go. So that's why I'm just like, I don't really want to see this trade. If you could figure out a way to not include Sabonis, like it'd make me happier as a fan. But I do see your point of view and and saying that this trade overall makes the Pacers a lot better because he brings something they desperately need. And at the same time, I mean, they still miss, in my opinion, a, a better option at the four. And as much as I love TJ Warren, and we haven't really got a chance to see him play the four with the Pacers. That's the area I feel like they really need the most. And that's like that bigger wing that we talked about guarding a Tobias, guarding a Harrison mm-hmm. Barnes. I don't want to like, because you did say that your your article, you have an article, I guess, coming up where you're looking at some options at the at that four position um, just for fun um, without maybe giving it away. Is there like a type of player in particular you're looking at maybe? 
uh, that you uh, think the Pacers could upgrade? I so, and that's I got into that a little bit on on Twitter as well. The 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 four position is one of the hardest to acquire in the entire league, especially with what the Pacers are going to want from that player. Like it's, it's not, no team has a ton of extra fours that they want to give up for a center. Like, and not only that, but the cross section between teams that have extra wings that they would want to get up and also have a, an open starting center slot is just so incredibly small. So I think that, uh, and that's why I've been okay with the Turbonus pairing is because you don't know what else is out there and what is out there and what you think is out there just isn't that great. So it's kind of better to just run with what you have rather than take a downgrade for a better positional fit. Um, unless that player is just the absolute perfect fit, like somebody like Robert Covington or something like that. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I I've got a lot of work to do on that, but it, it's, it's definitely something that, people need to keep in mind when they're talking about trading a player is like, okay, who are you getting to fill the needs that both losing that player would bring, but also address the needs of the team that would be left behind. Mark, any thoughts from you on this? Uh, No, I mean, I think we covered most of it. Okay. So nothing on the four position. I mean, I think we like, like you mentioned, we haven't really gotten to see TJ do it. I'm not until we see the full team. Um, I can't really make any judgments based on what 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 they're gonna do, and um, it's tough too because I think every team wants to stretch four in the league pretty much, and there really are not that many of them. Um, so I mean, TJ Warren playing the four is fantastic. TJ Warren playing the three is fantastic. Um, I, I think regardless, I'm, he's just about the most untouchable player on the team just in terms of what he can do and considering he's at the hardest position to find in the league. So yeah, I, I'm not, not to say that I'm not thinking long-term. I think it's hard for me to not think long-term, but I'm trying to not think long-term. But I mean, also in that, in that regard, do you think it's a good idea for a front office to, to not make moves or to not think long-term while people aren't healthy? Because I feel like that's a never ending cycle to a certain extent. No, that's fair. Um, I mean, I think it's always smart to be gauging your options, and I think it's pretty fair to say that the Pacers front office does that, just based sure. off what we know. Um, you know, I, I think – but but the way that I'm just looking at it and seeing it is, okay, well, TJ Warren is I, – I mean, how many how many wings uh, – or not even wings, just let's just say forwards. How many big, big initiators, forwards who can score and, and defend um, – Obviously, TJ is not a great passer, but he was showing some strides in that. Um, I mean, how many guys are there that are even, like, on his level? Like, okay, so you have – there's a big drop-off after the top level, and then he's on, like, the level right underneath, and then you get down to it, and there really just aren't a lot of guys his size who can do the things that he does. Uh, and I think – I would argue TJ's most important asset is his, his defense. He's not even a great defender, but the fact that he's somebody who's big enough that can hang with <laughs> yes. guys that are his size – is what the team misses most right now. Yeah, and so I, I think I basically I would say that, uh, like, I get what you're saying, Rhett, but at the same time, I just don't know, like, why – just considering where he's at as mm-hmm. a player, um, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I guess that does kind of cover it. Maybe I didn't do a great, a great enough job defending all my Sabona stands out there because <laughs> I've. Oh, don't worry. They did plenty of. Yeah, they're doing job it. They're, they're handling it themselves. I'm catching up on Twitter right now, and they were they were active today. So yeah, no, it's it's. I, think I will say more... the last thing I want to say. Yeah, stand culture is like one of the worst things in the NBA. Like just just enjoy the game. You know, we don't have to stand people. It's important to recognize that there are, there's good and bad to everything. Everything can be critiqued. Everything can be not critiqued, too. You could just enjoy it. Um, there's always room for criticism or, or space to be critical. But we also don't have to, like, go crazy fanboy about stuff, you know. I don't know. That's, That's more fun, though. Take. Uh, it's not fun for me. <laughs> well, you're not a fan. Not fun for my mentions, yeah. either. Yeah. That's, hey, a, that's a fair point. When you throw in the, one of the Pacers' best players in a trade, you're going to get some uh, responses back. But right. that's the reason you write the article, though, right? Absolutely. And it's not like we're not getting the best player in the deal. So, Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like, ah, I just uh, – I, I grow so attached to some of these guys. It's like you hate to see them leave. It's like you get attached to, to the Paul, and then he wants out. You get attached to Victor, then you trade him, and he pretty much won it out, and then – now Sabonis has like no like any history of wanting out. Like loves loves playing in Indiana, and then you're like, oh, we might trade him too. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, that's kind of oh, what no, I think. I'm not saying we might trade him. I know no, I'm don't, saying don't that. Aggregate the, that. Whoever's I'm, out there, no one's aggregating anything. I'm <laughs> what saying. Points? Where are you? <laughs> there it is. But what I am saying is, I think that sometimes, uh, probably probably fans are just like, ah, oh, quit taking away guys that we love. But uh, but yeah, anyway, that's. That's pretty much all we have to say on that conversation. So kind of just to wrap things up, the Pacers play the Grizzlies tonight. Most of you guys will be listening to this on, on Tuesday morning. So Grizzlies, a, a good chance to bounce back. The Grizzlies have been playing well, though. And uh, I think they're playing tonight against San Antonio. I don't know what the final score is of that game or if there is a final score yet. But uh, The Grizzlies um, were winning last time I checked. Yeah, so Grizzlies have been playing well. Big opportunity for the Pacers to uh, try to get – back on the winning track, but John Morant's got to be a handful. So real quick, Mark, uh, give us a little bit of uh, insight on the Grizzlies and what they've been playing like this year. Um, well, they are, they, they've just played their, the last two games uh, against the Spurs considering tonight too, are their first two games in like a week and a half. Um, they were on a really good stretch. They went seven and three over the last 10 games, including uh, two nights ago's game. I think didn't wait. No, tonight's tonight's Monday. I, I can't remember. If you if you include the first Spurs game, they're seven and three over the last ten. They've dealt with a ton of injuries to start the year, um, but they cobbled together some pretty good stretches. Uh, uh, granted, against like a not super tough schedule, um, some of the wins that they had don't look as good because like they beat the Sixers, who didn't have Joel Embiid. Um, they beat the Suns. That was actually a pretty good win, uh, but I believe they were on the second night of a back to back. The Suns were. Um, so there is like some caveats in, in their wins, but they, they have been good. Um, they're going to provide some, some difficult things. Obviously, John Morant is probably going to be the best uh, interior driver that the Pacers have faced this year. So it's a huge opportunity for Miles Turner. Um, I'm not sure if Jonas Valanciunas is playing tomorrow, which would also be uh, – I mean, that makes a big difference in terms of how the front court's going to match up. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is still out and probably will be for some time still. Uh, but it should be a good matchup. The Grizzlies are a fun team. I, I really enjoy watching them. Uh, they play hard. Uh, yeah, Jonas Valanciunas was not back then. I know that he's on the road trip, so he could come back at some point. Um, 
potentially against the Pacers. But if not, it'll be Xavier Tillman, who is a joy to watch. I absolutely love Xavier Tillman. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be a fun game. I have not watched any Grizzly game this year, so I have no insight or any perspective. Oh my from- god! I okay. So breaking thing. Um, well, not really breaking. This is just me kind of enamored. The Grizzlies have had nine players score in double figures tonight. I've never seen that happen in oh, a game wow. before. That's insane. Their entire starting lineup and four guys off the bench are all in double figures right now. Well, it looks like it's going to be a tougher matchup for the Pacers than I think some people expect. Uh, no, they're Grizzlies, a good team. Yeah, yeah Grizzlies they're, I are think good. they're six in the West right now. I had them making the playoffs, and uh, I think, or I, th- I think I had them in the playing game. I don't know if you guys had them in the playing game or not, but. That was one of the ones I felt like, hey, they can maybe do this. Um, <laughs> I just, I just love John Moran. I think he's just unbelievable. And uh, yeah, John Moran's going to be a challenge for Malcolm Brogdon. It'll be interesting to see how they go about defending that. I mean, do you guys anticipate the same starting five, or maybe a maybe a change there uh, with uh, maybe uh, Edmund Sumner maybe getting some minutes? Oh, I think that'd be a huge jump going from not playing to starting. Yeah, for Ed. Um, but I think it'll probably be the same lineup. Lamb probably in there. All right. Well, that that is uh, about as long as we're going to give you. I know, Mark, you have a uh, you have a preview coming out on your podcast. So if you guys are wanting an in depth preview on that Grizzlies game, make sure you check out Mark's podcast at the Indy Cornrows uh, podcast. Wherever you guys can find that, at. Where, where can they find that at besides Apple and uh, Spotify? Uh, shoot, that's a good question. I think anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, you could find it at Indy Cornrows. I'll have a, a pod post up for it uh, okay. tomorrow. Um, yeah, so that's also that's with Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast and uh, Grits and Grinds. He's really awesome basketball mind, funny as hell too. Cool. Um, so yeah, and check that out. It should be dropping in like an hour. So awesome. And then Rhett, of course, you had your latest article come out on uh, on this trade that we just spent a while talking about. So um, a lot of good things coming out from these guys doing a great job, and appreciate them always coming on every week when we can to, to talk all things Pacers and hypotheticals what's going on with the team it's always it's always good conversation so make sure you check them out on twitter at red underscore bauer at m schindler nba and i'm at alex golden nba and make sure you follow our our setting the pace podcast on twitter at setting the pace three and over on instagram at pacers talk and until next time we'll talk to y'all later hope you have a good rest of your day sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.